Good evening, everybody in Alberta, Canada, and beyond. It is Wednesday, October 18th, 2023, and I'm Carrie Lambert, and I welcome you to an online webinar evening of solutions for a new Alberta brought to you by the Alberta Prosperity Project, also known as APP. APP's purpose is to educate, inspire, and unite all Albertans, businesses, and organizations to protect their prosperity, individual freedoms, rights, and sovereignty by empowering the Alberta government to restructure Alberta's relationship with Canada. APP is membership driven with a million, with a goal of a million plus members to help clear the, uh, steer the political process. You can find out more at albertaprosperityproject.com. We've actually got a lot to cover tonight and um, we're kind of limited to just doing it within an hour. So I'm going to bring on our CEO, interim CEO of uh, the Alberta Prosperity Project, Christopher Scott. And uh, there he is there. How are you, Chris? I'm doing well. It is strange to hear my my full name used. Often that means I'm in trouble. So I could I say doing? Christopher James. Christopher James. What did you do oh, today? I've heard that a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if you hold up a red ladle, a red Tupperware ladle, I'd admit to things I haven't done anyway. Uh, that's funny. Um, so tonight's show is actually called "Your Pets Are an Economic Indicator of Prosperity." And uh, uh, our guest is uh, Jim DeBoon, who's an animal control specialist. And before we get into that, I did want to bring up a few things that happened this weekend. Uh, and uh, because, of course, they're all related to the Alberta Prosperity Project. We actually had um, a few events. Let me just call it up on the screen here. A few events happened across uh, southern Alberta. We had an event in uh, Cowley and an event in uh, Staveley, and an event in Blackie this weekend, in and which Chris was, yes, Chris was one of the speakers, and uh, I happened to join them at, down in Blackie on the Sunday. And then we did another event uh, just last night with Friends of Science, and uh, we were talking about climate change, and we heard from a, a couple of great speakers. We had a, a table set up uh, during that. So I just wanted to get your 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 take on how the last uh, few days have gone with uh, the Alberta Prosperity Project, Chris. What do you think? Well, uh, I, I'm I'm pretty excited that we're getting rolling again. Yeah. Uh, the the events in southern Alberta they went all off uh, they went off great, uh, mm -hmm. thanks to our new event coordinator. Uh, you may know Miss Vicky Bayford. I do know her. I Fantastic do know. job putting those together. Um, yeah, it was good to be out and engaging with people again answering questions uh speaking about where we where we see alberta going uh, yeah. doing doing the things that we were supposed to be doing so that was fantastic and then last night at the friends of science that was excellent as well we heard from robert lyman who is a uh, uh economist how an economic what was his title he used to he used to basically do stuff with, with yeah yeah uh he was speaking about the in economic impacts of net zero and what it looks like and folks if you haven't gotten to the to the bottom of that and dug down and, into what that looks like for you and your future and your family's future you better know because if you are silent on these policies and they go through yeah. um in in a nutshell in canada to transition to net zero by 2035 we're looking at one hundred and seven thousand dollars per canadian yeah. man woman and child that's what it's going to cost us that's, Anyhow, just, that's not what this just, is about yeah <laughs> but uh it, it, it's it's important just to mention and also we heard from dr ian clark and he was dispelling the myth about co2 driven climate change and actually what the evidence is showing uh, yeah. it appears as though it is um co2 pardon me 
temperature driven CO2 change. That's which right. Is quite interesting. So and we're going to do all series on that. And uh, yeah, we'll talk about that later. I did want to at least acknowledge that that uh, that's what we've been doing. So there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes as well. And of course, this weekend, they being Chris and uh, and Dennis Modry and uh, and Corey Morgan, of course, are up in uh, they are in Vermilion, Plamondon and Fort McMurray. So you can always hey. go. On the Alberta, yes, the Alberta Prosperity Project. Um, uh, website and uh, and and take a look at that and even register because they do want RSVP so they know how many how many seats to set out and uh, what needs to happen in the hall etc cetera, etc. Cetera. So with that, we are now going to bring on our guest uh, Jim Dubun, and uh, he is. Uh, I'm just going to call up his little web page here too. Where are we here? We are right there. Da da da. He is a uh, an animal control uh, specialist, and uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about pets and uh, and how they show themselves as being an economic indicator. So with that, I will bring Jim on. How are you doing, Jim? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Excellent. Thank awesome. you. Awesome. Perfect. Um, so yeah, I you, guess I was, I was just going to say, do you want to maybe just introduce yourself and uh, give a little bit of history on uh, on why you're so good at what you do in terms of animal control? So I don't know. I, 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 <clears throat> hard, to, hard to talk about yourself like that. But um, <laughs> I uh, was unemployed when I was 18. I was desperate. I ended up uh, walking into a community uh, town office uh, when I read in the paper that people were complaining about their animal services and I didn't want to do it. But the way it worked out was I was unemployed, living at home, 18 years old. My mom said, you're not in school. You're not working. You have to apply for unemployment insurance. So you have to do what your mom says. So I remember doing that. And a month went by and I get this check in the mail. And it's for $845. Mm-hmm. And you know how in people's lives when they're like in addiction issues or they have these problems in life and they have to like get to a really bad spot before, uh, you know, rock bottom before they're going to do something drastic and change their life. Mm-hmm. Well, when I opened up this check for $845 as a healthy 18-year-old kid in Alberta who could work, in my mind, that was my rock bottom. I'm like, I am so useless. The government has to pay me to do nothing. And I didn't realize that was a prerequisite to become a Canadian senator. But I I, I, I get this check and I'm like, I will, I will do anything so in a month from now I don't get another check. And then yeah. I read this article complaining about the animal services was a contracted service in this town. And this light bulb goes on in my head. I thought I could do that. And then I went, oh, no, I'd be a dog catcher. I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. Is there anything as a human that I could do that would be worse to my fellow man than if I became a dog catcher? Yeah. And I thought to myself for a second, well, I could still become a politician or a lawyer. So there was like two things I could think of that were lower in my mind as an 18-year-old Albertan than if I became uh, yeah. a dog catcher. And, yeah. and the reason why is because I'd met one when I was 16. My dog got out. And I wasn't nice to him and he wasn't professional to me. So that was my only encounter with a dog catcher or animal control officer we're called now. And I watched Walt Disney movies Mm -hmm. and every Walt Disney movie, the dog catcher is a moron that hates dogs. That is very true. So that's, that's all I knew. Anyway. So I went to town hall. I I, I said, I want to see the manager. He saw me. I talked to him for 20 minutes. His, his statement to me was Jim, we're desperate. We'll try you. Mm -hmm. Um, that's that's how I got hired. I was they were desperate and they tried an 18 year old kid with no. And so that started 41 years ago. I told them I would do it for six months because I was I'd start I've started eight other businesses since because I never planned to do this. I was always going to be in business. I knew yeah. I was an entrepreneur. Uh, I mean, I had a roller rink. I had a butter tart business, I had a security business. I had a wow. Um, yeah, I'm, I've started eight businesses. But 
this one has stuck around. And so then it grew into a boarding kennel and then it grew into doggy daycare and grooming. And we have uh, basically more or less help rescues now. So my whole world has been dogs since I was 18 years old. And so uh, now I train officers under enforcement training on how to deal with dogs. I've trained a couple thousand officers on how to deal with dogs that want to kill you. And, um, and so that's kind of what I do for fun. <laughs> and that's that's how that's how uh jim and i met carrie just so you know yeah, so jim, right. jim has arrested my my dog i don't know six <laughs> times or seven times or something i think it was I, two uh, or three but it was it was it was a lot it was too many times for my dog to arrested your dog with like uh yeah up pod. against the wall up against the wall <laughs> pat him down throw him in the yeah. throw him in the truck um you, you know i gotta say houdini that dog <laughs> I, well i gotta say chris uh you were a lot more polite with your encounters with me than I was at 16 with the guy that I met. I was not uh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. You were very well behaved. I try. I try. I, I really love that dog, but he, uh, so the, the sort of backstory there is I, I was working in Wabasca, uh, in the oil patch as a consultant and this dog, or no, I was actually driving truck then. And this dog just every morning he was at camp. And then one day he chased me down the highway and jumped in my truck when I stopped. I'm like, well, mm -hmm. I guess I have a res dog now. Right. So I take this dog home. He's a fantastic dog, but he just wanted to live that life. And there was nothing I could do to keep him in my yard. So Jim ended up finding a, a spot for him where he could just run all over the place. And now yeah. I'm assuming he's a happy boy. So it all he is. Yeah. yeah. So, so the, the topic, of course, we're, 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 we're basically talking about, uh, you know, how, how having a pet is an economic driver. And I mean, that, when when we were talking about what to actually title this it was like wow i didn't even think of that uh maybe maybe just kind of bring in uh bring us up to speed on on why do you think that there's an economic driver to that so economic driver might be uh, whenever an economic small, indicator is actually indicator, what I like canary yeah. in the coal mine financially right. um, yes, exactly. um so again 18 years old i started doing what i did and i i bought a 300 truck i i bought the biggest fishing net i could find because of course that's what walt disney taught me mm -hmm. and i'm not making that up and uh and i started going and and i noticed those first two three four years um a little over half the dogs I picked up would go home, which means a little under half the dogs I picked up wouldn't. And so, I mean, when you got 60% of your dogs going home, that means 40% aren't, and I'd have to adopt those dogs out. Yeah. And um, honestly, as an 18-year-old kid with not really my eye on the macro picture of finances and stuff like that, um, I just kind of assumed back then that, you know, people were just crappy dog owners. Mm -hmm. I am now almost, I'll be 60 years old in a month, and um, and I am seeing because when i figured this when this statistic came to me i sat down about it was in august and i just quickly get a snapshot of where we were and i saw this number of about 59 percent return to owner rate mm -hmm. i literally physically got sick to my stomach because i was like holy smokes i'm back in 1982 what's going on here because my normal return to owner rate for dogs is for the last 15 20 years is 93 94 95 96 percent so Which i pick up 100 dogs yeah, 94, yeah. 95, 96 go home and then three or four need to be adopted out. Yeah. And when I figured this out a few months ago and I saw it, I literally got almost physically sick because I'm like, I'm not doing anything different. I haven't changed anything. Why is this number? Because last year, the number dropped to 85 percent, mm -hmm. which I thought was startling. It dropped 10 percent last year, but it's dropped much more this year. Yeah. And I mean, we have 30 some thousand people on our Facebook page and so did the rescue that we worked with have almost that many. I mean, yeah. we didn't have trouble adopting out dogs. And now, and I've talked to King County in Washington state. I've talked to the biggest rescue in Alberta. I've talked to uh, Calgary city, Edmonton, and the situation is, is endemic. It's, it's endemic. Um, 
it's ubiquitous. It's all over North America. Mm -hmm. uh, and so what you've got is a situation because of finances, because of government policy and where we are fiscally, because everyone that's decent in the industry agrees this is an economic reality we're facing. What's happening is you have less people afford can afford and, and looking to adopt an animal mm -hmm. and you have people dumping animals. Yeah. And that means they're not coming to get them when they dump them. And that's on purpose. And so uh, I talked to the one main rescue in Alberta here, the biggest, and they average 80 adoptions a month, but their average intake is 120 a month. Hmm. So you can't keep doing that or you hmm. end up with thousands of dogs in shelter because it just builds up every month. Yeah. And so um, when I sat and looked at this and I'm like, well, what was happening in 1982 when I started? And I'm like, well, we had this, we had the same last name for a prime minister. And a few years prior to that, that person had huge deficits, created inflation, which then created 20% interest rates. Mm -hmm. Now, the baseline interest rate before that mess started was somewhere between 5 and 7%. Yeah. And then when it shot up in 79, 80-ish, somewhere in there, 81, to 20 and 21%, we were seeing a, almost a four-fold increase in the base rate for the interest rates mm -hmm. in Canada. And my mom and dad lost a house during that period that they had built uh, because my dad ended up getting sick. They couldn't pay the bills. They lost the house. It was un it was untenable. And people are in that position today. And the reason is, is because when you go and print $600 billion worth of money, it's chasing the same number of goods. You create inflation mm -hmm. and the inflation forces the Bank of Canada to do a 20 fold increase in the base rate of 0.25%, which is now Hold 5%. on a sec, Jim. So in the early 80s, when things were terrible, it was a three or four fold increase. Now we saw, what was the number again? It's a 20 fold increase from 0.25% to 5% as a 20 fold increase. Hmm. Wow. Right. Now, understanding since you're starting at a smaller number, it's, you know, it's not quite it as dramatic. Yeah. It's yeah. not as dramatic as going from 7% to 21%. Yeah. But the reality is the increase, this is literally like some young prime minister saying to his dad, hold my beer. <laughs> if you think uh -huh. you screwed it up, hold my beer yeah. and I'm going to show you what to really do. And so uh, we're in a position now, um, you know, COVID had a bit of a, a bit to do with it because COVID created an anomaly in our field because during 2020, when everyone was being paid to stay home, everyone in their, pardon the pun, dog thought they should go get an animal, cat or dog. And I saw U.S high kill rescues in the states posting that for the first time in their 120 year history their shelters were empty people were adopting dogs that should never have been adopted they were you know aggressive uh, problematic health issues but wow. people didn't care they were i mean you, you could have you could have adopted and then during that time people with intact dogs figured out what was going on and everyone and their dog started breeding dogs mm -hmm. and selling them for six seven eight nine hundred bucks doodles were going for thirty five four thousand dollars okay the rescue I work with just took 30 some doodles from a breeder who couldn't give them away. And they were 3,500 bucks 24 months ago. Jeez. Okay. So this is a paradigm shift in our society based mostly on economics. Now, the anomaly from COVID where there, so if you think of, if you do a graph and then you've got adoptions kind of running along like this, you know, so many dogs a year, whatever. COVID was a spike. Well, yeah, yeah. some of the some of the people in that spike were thinking of adopting six months or two years, a year down the road. They were planning on it, and they just went out during COVID and did it. So what yeah. that happens is when you go past that point, 
there's a lag in the number of people looking for dogs because they decided to, 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 to jump the gun right there. Yeah. So they would have been adopting down the road. So you have a huge spike. All these dogs get adopted. A lot of them shouldn't have been adopted. You have the people that aren't looking now because they went through COVID and got their dog. And so you have a lesser adoption rate. Yeah. And then um, and then anyways, this is where we're at. So COVID had a small impact, but I would say the COVID impact was felt mostly last year. Um, now you have all these animals. Um, you know, some people that shouldn't have adopted during COVID are you know, regurgitating their animals and saying, I can't or whatever. And that's, that's something. And remember, there are terrible, lazy, bad people that choose for stupid reasons to dump an animal. That's always been that way. And that will always be that way. Mm -hmm. But that's typically a small number of the population. And we've been dealing with that forever because irresponsible people are irresponsible. You don't, you can't change that. Mm -hmm. But what we're seeing now is people with no option and no choice and so they have lost their job or their mortgage just renewed and it went from 1800 to $3,800. Yeah. They don't have the money. They have to sell the house or give the house back. They're a family of four with a dog. They, they have to go somewhere in, in, in eight to 10 days or whatever the number is. Yeah. And they go to every rescue and every shelter and every humane society and say, we can't take the, We can't rent a house with this dog. Yeah. We can't take this dog with us and no rescue or shelter will take it. And, and then so they drive off into the country. And I was just talking to the lady in Calgary today from the rescue. She was saying that the Humane Society in Calgary, there's a road on the edge of Calgary where people will, they just, they just get called there to pick up stray dogs. People know that that's the area. They go there, they pick up the stray dogs and the dogs are just not reclaimed because these people wow. are honest, good, hard, good people, hardworking people, but they're trapped in a financial system that is beyond yeah. their control. And to Chris's point, what he said earlier, the only real solution because I was sitting here brainstorming with this other key leader in the industry today. And her and I are sitting there going, we got nothing. Like we can't magically create great, uh, healthy, loving homes out of thin air when mm -hmm. people don't have the money. Yeah. Unless your whole economy does better and you do better as a, as a group, then you create the environment in which people are like, hey, we, you know, we're, we're comfortable, we're safe, we yeah. need a dog. Yeah. Right, Chris? Absolutely. And that comment that Carrie put up, we, we spoke about that a little bit too, Jim. There's, um, I'll just put so it back up again. Aurora yeah, so says uh, people cannot afford to have pets anymore. Landlords have long been refusing tenants with pets because of irresponsible tenants and pet owners. I and concur. I would, I, I I would say that's 50% right. I don't agree that it's because of irresponsible tenants and pet owners. I believe it's because of irresponsible government policy and regulation that mm. puts all of the onus on the landlord to recover costs that are from. That is pet. true. Yes. Right? That's the problem. If it was a free market and we could, we could decide or, or we could recover costs uh, for, for rental units damaged by pets. Mm -hmm. People might be um, much more willing to take that risk. But right now, what landlord in the right mind would risk having any pets in a rental house and 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 facing twenty or thirty thousand dollars of damages that they can't? Yeah, recover? Luckily, some still do. But like and I was telling you guys before we got on the air, I had a brother who had a rental property in, in Red Deer and, uh, you know, some people went in there and, you know, there was a pet deposit and there was the damage deposit and they said all the right things and whatever. Long story short, after 12 months of renting this house, there was twenty-five to $30,000 damage and mm -hmm. you couldn't recoup it. You got a $1,600 um, um, damage deposit and I think it was like 300 bucks a piece of pet deposit. Uh, so basically it cost them 25 grand uh, in one year to rent that house out. <clears throat> so, yeah. It's not a very it's hard. not a very attractive outlook for a landlord, that's for sure. But the person that made that post did say, I mean, the, the problem is because 
I mean, you know, out of every 10 pet owners, nine of them are not going to wreck your house. They're not going to damage mm -hmm. it. They take care of their animal. Yes, yeah. there's that one in 10, or maybe it's uh, one in 20, whatever that number is. But if you're the landlord that gets that guy, you're the one that gets a big financial kick in the head mm -hmm. uh, is what happens. So it is. And I mean, so, you know, landlords choose to err on the side of caution and you can criticize and condemn for that, but they've got a three, $400,000 mortgage on that property. Uh, they've got insurance on that property. And, uh, you know, if it all goes well, they'll make 10, 15%, hopefully yeah. uh, on that investment. Uh, but they're taking all the risk. Yeah. Here's another statement from uh, Karen saying COVID got everyone getting pets. They did not train them. They are out of control at dog parks, but then they went back to work. Interesting. So there is a, there is, I know a few people that did get pets and, and exactly that, you know, they were at home all the time for a year or whatever, uh, basically got them as a puppy. And now all of a sudden you're going back into downtown Calgary and you have to leave your pet at home. The pets are confused. They don't know what the hell to do. And I mean, I've adopted out thousands of pets over 41 years. And um, the reality is, is that, you know, people have ideas in their mind when they go to adopt an animal and the idea in their mind it's kind of like uh, this romantic idea. It's going to work out a certain way. Um, when they get the animal home, the animal's energy level is too high. It's insecure. It's got uh, separation anxiety, whatever the reason is. And it's not the romantic idea in your mind. And it becomes very, very, uh, very, very. Who pays for keeping abandoned pets? Is that the question? Mm -hmm. Connie Smith. You your other I know her. Hi, Connie. <laughs> Um, and the answer that the answer to that question, Connie, would be uh, mostly animal services and shelters. That's the answer to your question. And wow. so, in this, in my case, it's me. I have 94 animals in care right now um, that uh, I need to feed and vet and take care of until I find them homes. Now, now, how often or how many do you normally have? You said you have so, 94. But... Okay, so again, there's a bit of a change here because the rescue we work with had all the animals in care and we're uh, we're moving in separate directions now so um i ended up taking 94 from the rescue that we work with but there they still have 75 so there's about 160 animals in care mm -hmm. at this moment in time and so um because um we've kind of divvied it up and and they're going to take some to try to find homes and i'm taking some to try to find homes i need to find homes for about 94 ish animals right now plus the 15 that came in, in the last eight days so wow Mm-hmm. So yeah. th this is this is actually quite a big uh oh, my phone is ringing. Give me a second. <laughs> Chris, you want Who has a landline these days? <laughs> wow. I still do it, I don't know why. Yeah. I haven't had a landline in years. Yeah. There you go. Was it a telemarketer, Carrie? That's that's the only the only reason I have that is because I really enjoy having telemarketers and actually the way my my uh, my house alarm system works is it it doesn't do cell it still works uh, on a landline so I pretty much need a landline but I'm not sure yeah obviously there are just it very rarely happens where someone will call and sure enough here here it is interesting I thought so, maybe I thought maybe it was the, the Conservative Party of Canada looking for money for me <laughs> they probably are or the NDP or hounding me for for money wanting wanted me to support them they called oh, me during uh, they called me always during supper yeah yeah exactly we have some some constructive feedback from brandon there he says you're a fraud chris you don't have everyone fooled just the mindless ones but uh you know um, you're entitled to your opinion um, brandon i would suggest yeah. that if you're going to call people mindless um spell correctly yeah. apostrophe re thanks 
Oh boy. Yeah. Um, I forgot exactly where I was going with that. Sorry. But uh, there's, there's a couple of other comments here too. Another factor is the cost of veterinary care that has been, that really is now so much more expensive. I'm not sure. I don't know that person as well. Um, anyways, um, veterinary costs are substantial. Yeah. And when you're as a family running into financial crisis, you can't just close your Disney Plus account no, and pay for good. all your problems. Yeah. Yeah. Um, reference there to our Christia Freeland. But um, the, uh, yeah, no, veterinary costs have gone up a lot. Um, so, for example, the rescue that we worked with last year, or maybe it was the year before, I can't remember, it was one of the two recent years, um, they get a 40% discount off of what you and I pay. And their vet bill for that one year was three hundred and fifty, no, $346,000. Um, and that's all going to be raised. Um, wow. It is expensive. It is super expensive. But at the same time, the cost of when you take the minimum wage in three years and you go from $10 an hour to $15 an hour. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, as a business owner, when the wonderful previous government did that, uh, we were just getting our footing on earth. We had the new kennel built and we're getting our footing on earth. We're trying to get going. And my single biggest expense was wages. And they went to me and they said, well, they didn't go to me. They just went along and said, as a business owner, I'm going to take your biggest expense and I'm going to increase it by 50% in three yeah. years. Yeah. And, um, and I mean, veterinarians don't pay minimum wage, but instead of paying maybe a starting wage of 16 or $18 an hour now, because of that, they've got to have a starting wage of 23, $25 an hour. And that's just for the kid that just came out of, you know, vet tech school or whatever, yeah. not begrudging them that, not saying that's bad, but I'm just saying when you go and arbitrarily move those, those bar, uh, bars up, mm -hmm. um, you create a cascading effect. For example, um, <clears throat> I am not, as a business owner and as an entrepreneur, uh, I have a, a relative in uh, Kelowna working at a Tim Hortons, and he's been at the same Tim Hortons 19 years. He's still making minimum wage. Wow. And I, I mean, yeah. But, maybe I, he, but I always say, if, if you're doing that, he must be happy. Is he happy doing that? Well, I mean, he likes what he's doing. But I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that the cost to get by every day yeah. goes up at a certain pace, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so here, yeah, I would like to start people at a minimum wage of what used to be $10 an hour because I'm going to pay you to go pick up dog poop. And you don't need a bachelor's of education to go pick up dog poop and wash kennels, okay? Now, you show me you're good at what you do, and I will start raising your wage. And that's what I want to do. But if yeah. my minimum wage is now $15 an hour, I've got people that are two, three years in that I was paying $15, $16 an hour to, and I want to pay them $17, $18. But since I've got to pay the poop scooper $15, I don't have the money to pay them $20 yeah. because yeah. you've taken up because you've raised that beginning bar mm -hmm. and that's my argument as an entrepreneur is that you know people say, well, everyone deserves a living wage you know what if you're uh, productive to a business and the hardest thing right now and chris can probably attest to this is finding good employees and keeping them mm -hmm. because it's it's difficult as an entrepreneur so i mean this this market if you're any good and you don't like where you are this is a great time to make a move i was talking mm -hmm. to a guy at a place yesterday or two days ago and, uh, you know, he was, saying, he was saying that one of his coworkers has up for him and his boss kind of is kind of got it up for him. And he's in a skilled uh, trade. And I said, well, if you want to go move somewhere else, I know like five places right now. They're looking for guys like you yeah. uh, and you'll get more money. Yeah. Right. Because so I don't have a yeah, I don't uh, you know, um, I said this to Chris earlier today. I said uh, one of my favorite quotes from Ronald Reagan is that uh, Ronald Reagan said this he's the scariest phrase in the English language is um, this. It said, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and uh, you know, I, I think I was going to ask you guys in your minds, if you think of like, and I know left and right and all this crap. Um, but when you think of like liberal ideology and conservative ideology, mm -hmm. do you have a way to kind of condense it into kind of a statement of what the differences are? I, you know what, Jim, I've uh, given up 
I've given up trying to separate liberal, liberal and conservative because I don't think there's really not much of a difference. As a matter of fact, I realized over the last few years that I, I, I wasn't really a conservative at all. In, in the classic sense, in the classic sense of the world, word, word, I'm a liberal because I believe that people should be free to do as they wish as long as they're not harming other people and the government should just stay out of their lives. But yeah. the term, the liberal has been hijacked and now is a thinly veiled attempt to disguise Marxism. Yeah. So, you know, I, what I've determined is that we're not facing a liberal or conservative issue. This is a human and anti-human issue, plain yeah. and simple. Yeah. Our governments have said, we're going to pursue this at all costs. And the thing of the day is net zero. We're going to pursue net zero at all costs. Well, they failed to tell people what the human costs were. Yeah. We don't have governments that are saying, we're going to pursue prosperity and human flourishing at all costs, which we should. The The narrative has shifted and now people are they're hoodwinked into following these ideologies yeah. And they don't realize how it's going to impact them until they're at the end of the road saying goodbye to their dog and uh, just dumping it for yeah. somebody else to pick up. You know, it's it's funny because I actually do follow, I guess, extremes on Facebook and other social media. So I do follow, we'll say, the far left and I follow the far right just to kind of see if there's any common ground and I, and if if anybody's out there that that's watching and they and they're pretty much just following you know i only i only watch the the videos that i want to see or anything like that you know expand your mind a little bit and watch watch ones that you don't do or what what's ones that you would normally be because i can tell you right now that things are coming together there are things that people would say far left that you know um, we do things as a collective. We're, we're all about the people and the conservatives are all about just being themselves. And you can also say, you know, from a conservative point of view, we, we do want to help everybody. That's the whole point of why we're even doing the Alberta Prosperity Project is we want to be able to do stuff for everybody. But they don't see that from that side. But there are certain topics that have been coming up lately, you know, even just, uh, you know, the pension plan and things that, uh, that we've been talking about already. And there is this this mending uh, melding of the minds where they can actually see the benefits in in doing both of those things. And especially when you watch stuff down in the states and uh, and and they're talking about you know whether you're a Republican or a Democratic uh, a state. And uh, so one of them, of course, uh, is um, you may have heard in uh, in I believe it's Alabama. They actually outlawed one of the uh, the Chinese uh, companies from uh, basically saying that you have to you have to give back the the farmland that you bought from America. You have to give back to America, and we want the Chinese uh, influence out. And the most amazing thing is both sides agree with it. So there are some things that people do agree on. It's just a matter of finding what they are and of course you know you bring up the idea of, of pets and 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 being you know what what kind of economic impact uh, and, and indicator does that do and and everybody loves pets it, i don't care whether you're left or right and if you can see that there's an issue with uh being able to afford a pet then you know what i think we need to have these conversations on how we can actually make 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 pets get back to where they were before i mean honestly i don't have a pet because my life is way too busy. I, uh, and, you know, and, and maybe it does have a little bit of an impact in, in terms of money because 
I don't think it would be fair for, for myself to have a dog and have to kennel it uh, for, you know, every couple of weekends. You know, I'd much rather have some a, a pet that uh, I can definitely enjoy coming home to. Or, like or maybe even bring, yeah, or a chia pet, or maybe even bringing a pet with me, right? Mm -hmm. There are there are lots of different uh, different jobs out there where you can actually bring your pet with you, right? So yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, no, like I say, the, the 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 reality we're seeing in our field, it's really a um, it's it's a, a result of a situation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, it was Arkansas. It was Arkansas, Perry. not. Uh, no. uh, I knew it was uh, in the. I knew it was in the. In the south. Um, but like I say, I mean, what I'm noticing, and, and like I say, I, uh, I, I, I now look back at 1981, 82, 83, 84, and, you know, based on where we were then and based on what I'm seeing now, I feel like we're probably still at least a year, hopefully only a year away from the bottom of this fiscal cycle that we're, we're, we're flying into as a result of all these policies yeah. and these decisions. Uh, I'm hoping that it's only a year away. I'm hoping it's not two more years like this yeah. um, because you, you called it a fiscal cycle, Jim. So w would you say this is a natural fiscal cycle or, a, or an artificial one? Um, I would say that the majority of fiscal cycles are created by the people that pull the strings. Um, um, you know, uh, that might sound conspiracy theorist, but um, when I watch what happened to my parents in 1982, when they lost their house um, and there was almost, it was almost like a harvesting of real estate at that time. There was small groups of organizations that uh, were able to buy a lot of properties for a very reasonable price, and they got and very then, wealthy, mm -hmm. and get very wealthy. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, I mean, when you look at, so can I go out on a bit of a tangent here for a second? We, we always, always do on tangents, always. Okay. <laughs> so uh, my wife and I just celebrated thirty-five years, and so as a gift to ourselves, we just uh, did a tour of uh, a driving tour of Ireland and Scotland for eighteen days. And so we saw all the old civilizations and the castles and all this stuff and, you know, which clans were killing which clans and all this stuff. And so um, as I listened to all this history and, and by the way, Chris, um, there's a there's a jail in Dublin uh, that's still there. It was built in the 1700s. And um, some of the occupants that were there in the 1800s ended up becoming part of the parliament because they were fighting for the freedom of Ireland and the powers that be didn't like that, that they were fighting for freedom. They threw them in this jail. And then 35 years later, they came back as MPs. Um, I was thinking of you when I was hearing the stories. Um, but anyways, the reason I'm digressing is because basically if you look at human history on mass, mm -hmm. uh, you'll get people broken into groups and this clan fights that clan. And there's this war, this King is mad at that King. And, and it was just an unending series of wars. Now, the way in a group, say, if you're Ireland or Scotland, the way you can get all these people to quit fighting each other is you need a common enemy. Then they'll put their hate for the other guys aside, and then they'll go and fight the common enemy. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're looking to create a one-world currency and a one-world government, you need to create a common enemy mm -hmm. like climate change, yeah, yeah. something that you'll give up your rights for. You'll give up your whatever for, your country mm -hmm. for. Mm -hmm. And you, so instead of having everyone fighting themselves, you need a common enemy yeah. and the common enemy that we're being fed right now is this thing that we're bad, that we're the carbon they're trying to, to reduce yeah. you and I, yeah. and that, you know, we need to feel bad about living and that we need to, um, you know, do everything that they tell us to, to, you know, drive these giant carbon holes called electric vehicles mm -hmm. that use coal. <laughs> you know, I drove to the coast here two months ago and I saw this 
huge, massively long train, all hauling coal to the coast. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's like, look at all that electric car food. That's yeah. amazing. You know, and so we're being a federal line. But um, yeah, the only way that you can control people is number one, they must be in fear. They must, number two, they must be confused. And number three, you have to present them a common enemy so that mm -hmm. they'll give up of themselves and then they will go and do the things you're asking them to do. Hmm. Sidetrack. Well, no, that's good. That's good. Um, you know, that's it's. I, I'm glad you brought that up because right now we we live in a time where we have an unbelievable amount or or almost unlimited access to the very thing that increased human prosperity, longevity, and quality of life more than anything else across the history of time, mm -hmm. and that is hydrocarbons. When we started using oil and gas, we saved the whales. We we made hundreds and hundreds of different types of medicine that saved lives. Mm -hmm. We effectively dealt with uh, catastrophic climate events like hurricanes, floods, tornadoes, fires, those types of things. We did that by harnessing the power of hydrocarbons. Um, you know, we've we've shrunk the world so that we can hop on a plane and go to Amsterdam and visit for a day and come back if we really want to. I mean, I'm not two stars don't recommend, but we could. And yet here we are fighting against that and actually, and not me, but we're, society is advocating for a return to pre-prosperity. That's what we're doing. And you nailed it, Jim. It's because we've been convinced that we have this enemy we have to fight at all costs. Now, what's surprising, but I suppose isn't surprising, is if we look across history, there are dozens examples of the exact same thing. I mean, you saw it in Ireland. I saw it in Britain. I saw it mm -hmm. in Holland. We have so many examples of periods in time in which people were convinced of their rights, freedoms, and prosperity for some common goal that turned out to be completely fake. Yeah. And we're doing it again and again and again. But so, if you but if you say this, Chris, you're a crazy conspiracy theorist. Okay? Oh, that's fine. Everybody knows I'm crazy. But but I'm just saying that's the that's the the play of the whatever. But I mean, I was in these castles, and all they were was this person was doing this to kill this person, and this person was doing this to do this, and then this was the plan here, and this was the plan there, and it's an unending cacophony of conspiracies i mean you know i mean at least now finally for example conspiracy that's coming up to its 60th anniversary was the killing of john f kennedy and only the really uninformed could believe that the lone gunman killed that president it's not possible yeah. it was not possible and the only other alternative is is that the government itself killed its own president in 1963. well if that's the case then and that was 60 years ago are you really going to sit here and tell me that you don't think that larger and worse um manifestations of those kinds of conspiracies are not happening today you mm -hmm. really believe something's changed in mankind yeah. we're yeah, more enlightened that... i mean we learned <laughs> no. from history so we don't have to repeat it we're more enlightened we do better now than we did but enlightenment and we have this thing called the internets that uh, allow us to share so much information and, and you know and we would never persecute somebody for because we didn't understand something never yeah it just wouldn't happen yeah yeah no you know what and i'll put myself in this category we are dumber today than we were 20 years ago and i'll, I'll give you an example 
Um, if I need to go from here to somewhere in Edmonton right now, okay, I used to actually have to get in my mind where it was or maybe pull out a map and figure out where I'm going. Now I just stick it to my phone and I don't, I mean, I don't even think about, my phone reroutes me on route if there's a car accident. I don't, and if it's taking me down the, the side road, I just assume it knows what it's doing and I follow it. Yeah. I don't actually have to think, okay. Well, we've got 30 years of people now driving for 20 years with Google that haven't had to think about where they're going, okay. Now, I'm the same, and I'm the same way now. I don't, I don't need to think about it, right. And yet we have all this information and all this stuff and yet because of the way algorithms, algorithms work and, and creating these hive minds on the left and hive minds on the right, um, we're meaner to each other. We're ruder to each other. Mm -hmm. We don't have the connections we used to have. Um, you know, when I grew up, our, our door was unlocked outside of Calgary and people would walk in and help themselves to coffee if because we would live by a railroad. And the railroad guys would just walk in and, and that wasn't weird. Okay. That's how we lived. Now yeah. everyone is scared of everyone. And COVID yeah. put a pinnacle on that. It put an icing on the cake on that. Uh, yeah. We're dumber, we are scareder, <laughs> and we are easier to manip manipulate now than we ever were, even in spite of all this stuff. Like even what you're doing tonight, this is going counterculture against uh, you know what the the big guys want to say, and, th and thank God you're doing it, and, and good on you guys. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, I don't know how many people are watching this, but it's going to be less than uh, 500 and more than 50. So yeah, how, how many right. people are watching? 292 right now. Okay, so hell, hello everybody. Thanks for tuning in. But the reality is, is that number needs to be two hundred ninety-two thousand, and then we get somewhere. I agree. So, speaking of getting somewhere, we have less than seventeen minutes left. Yes. Let's talk about some solutions. I mean, okay. you mentioned that you and some of your colleagues were talking about what are the solutions to deal with the problem that you guys are facing, which is uh, a low number of pets being returned to owners. So, how do we solve these problems? And you know, you think with 41 years doing this, and I'm I'm one of the guys that trains people in this industry, and I'm I'm one of the, for better or worse, one of the leaders in the industry. Um, shy of what you said, improving the overall economy, there actually is now. If I say what I'm about to say, I I'm gonna I'm gonna break open a, a world of hurt. Can I because, can I call up your website so that people know where to get a hold of you too? Uh, yeah, you can bring up classic kennels if you want. That's our boarding kennel. And that's where we will be showing the adoptive dog soon. We okay. we haven't been doing that for five years, but we will be uh, doing posts on our Facebook page for adoptions. Um, so what I'm about to say, I need to preface because if this gets out, this could be horrible. Um, in times past, when I started this, when shelters got over full, shelters, shelters across North America would euthanize cats and dogs for space. That's mm -hmm. what they used to do. By and large, in Alberta, that has not happened for 15 to 20 years, okay? Because we've always been able to find homes for pets. Now, I am not saying this will happen and I'm not advocating for this. I am just saying that when you say what are options, that's a big ugly thing that we, that when I say we, I mean this field used to do commonly 25, 35, 45 years ago. That was a common practice, healthy animals just being put down. Now I'm going to do everything in my power to make that's that not guy. happen. Where? That's my dog. Yeah, he was with using a picture with the other on dogs. The right. That's okay. The Rottweiler beside him is mine. Ryan. Huh. Yeah. Uh, I miss guy. Rottweiler. That Rottweiler beside him is Roscoe. So, um, anyways, when you say solutions, uh, there's two kinds of solutions in the world. There's the happy, fluffy, wonderful ones, and then there's the ones that you know are dark and ugly. Solve the uh, problem, but they're unpalatable. Yeah, and I mean, I am in. Uh, I've never had to euthanize a dog for space in my 41 years, um, or cat for that matter. Uh, we've only euthanized animals that 
uh, either had like serious like life debilitating health issues or they were aggressive to the point where they're dangerous um but i mean when you've got uh, a problem as ubiquitous as the one we're facing right now uh literally across all of north america and you have uh abandonments and strays at this level and you have um viable proper adoption homes shrinking um you can't pull an answer out of thin air mm -hmm. <laughs> like you can't i mean like i say what, what chris said the only way you could fix this is if people had more disposable income and the only way people are gonna have more disposable income is if we have lower taxes less government and more freedom to spend our money to live the life the way we want to live it mm. uh, and how we get of, there is bigger than me speaking of less money well I'll, I'll propose a solution for you after this and it's it's not a quick one but it is a solution so uh, at the Friends of Science event last night that Carrie and, and Vicky and Jessica and I went to, uh, Dr. Uh, Ian Clark was talking about the economic impacts of net zero for Canada. Mm -hmm. And he said that the Royal Bank had done uh, a study and they determined that the cost to transition our economy to net zero by 2035 was $3.7 trillion. Yeah. Trillion with a T. $107,000 per man, woman, and child. $107,000 every man, woman, and child. Now you tell me, who's going to be able to afford their homes, let alone their pets, when that happens? Mm -hmm. right? we're, we're facing some pretty serious things. Now, when it comes to solutions, of course, we always bring this back to what the Alberta Prosperity Project advocates for, which is um, Alberta uh, being free and prosperous through independence. And right now, we're seeing some synergies and some alignment with what our government is doing. Our government passed the uh, Alberta Sovereignty Act within the United Canada. And basically that says Alberta is going to stand up to the federal government in any area where they try to encroach on our sovereign constitutional jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. That's fair. We should, mm -hmm. be, we should have been doing that the whole time. Um, I think we need something more than that. We need to shift the narrative back to we must prosper and flourish as a species on this planet at all costs. That's what we need to do. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to be easy because this is, uh, you know, this, these anti-human ideas that are, that are directing this policy are entrenched in our society. And it's going to mm -hmm. take a long time to, to fix it. And the unfortunate thing is, in the meantime, there's going to be some collateral damage. And our pets are part of that. Again, they're they're a, they're a consequence of a bigger situation, um, Chris. Um, and like you say, the things that we've been told, I remember being like 15 years old, back before I could think for myself when I was watching CBC and I was watching David Suzuki. Mm -hmm. uh, I know I should be <laughs> repenting of that, but I did. And um, I remember being 15 years old, and I think it was about 4 billion people on earth back then. And he's sitting there saying, you know, there's too many people on earth. It's designed to, to, to hold about a billion people. You know, we got three billion too many people and we need to cut the population. There's just too many people. And this was when I was 50, so this is 35, 45, 45 years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm, I'm watching this. And then 25 years later, I hear this guy has five kids, right? And I'm like, if you as a person truly believed there's too many people on earth, why would you as a person go have five children? Right. Since we're overpopulated and mm. and but I mean, it worked because if you look at uh, Japan, they've been going backwards in their uh, 
population now for almost 20 years. Sure. The uh, childbearing people in Japan basically have passed that window almost totally. And Japan's going to basically collapse the society in the next 30 years because there just aren't going to be populated Japanese people. Mm -hmm. China has now started going backwards in population 10 years before they thought they would be going backwards in population. The only places that are going forward in population on planet Earth right now that I'm aware of are Africa and India. Those are still two places where the population uh, reproduction is exceeding the death rate. Mm -hmm. uh, Western culture, North American culture, Japan and everywhere else is going backwards. And if you talk to, um, oh, who's the richest guy in the world? Uh, Musk, Elon Musk. Um, someone asked him what his biggest fear is and he says his population collapse. And yet, you know, trying to, you know, so many people in that 18 to 35 year range right now in this country we live in think having children's is, is a bad idea. Like it's, you know, I, I shouldn't have kids. Number one, the world's too bad. Number two, you know, there's too many people. Yeah. Yeah. What, what could be more anti-human than saying uh, it's evil for you human beings to go forth and multiply? Exactly. Yeah, that is true. Um, well, it's uh, we're, we're 10 minutes, probably more like eight minutes until we got to uh, shut this webinar down. So why don't, should we go and see if we can find any questions? Folks, if you have questions, put a couple question marks up in the beginning and the were, end of it. So yeah, there were a like, few uh, few comments too, like even, um, so we need to get this sort of info out to seniors, not and not all of them use computers or they're on Facebook or, or, or any other social media. We've actually had, uh, we have our ops meetings on uh, Monday in which we actually discuss webinars and how to, how to do our events and and how to get the app message out and and that is something that has come up many many times is that uh you know we can't just rely on facebook or rumble or BitChute. there's every every other way out there you know uh people are and we do live events live events yeah you, you need to get people engaged either getting off out of their uh out of their comfy seats at home and out to an event which is definitely great that's something i I've been advocating for since day one that, uh, you know, it's great to be able to see what you see in front of your screen, but there's so much more of the world out there when you're actually at an event and you'd be amazed at how many people you can talk to and grow your own community that way too. Just yeah. make new friends. And on that note, so if you folks want us to do those types of things, like we also want to do those things. We have some dates booked uh, over the next six yeah. weeks or so where we're going to be traveling across the province. But I, need, I just need to remind you, if you want to see that happen, please consider uh, joining the Alberta Prosperity Project as a member. Um, we don't necessarily want your $20 membership fee, but we certainly need it because those events cost money to do. Yeah. Uh, consider making a donation. Or, and if you can't do that, maybe consider donating your time and help yeah. us do these things. Yeah. Uh, all, all of those events that you see people do where they're advocating for something and they bring 1,000 or 2,000 people together to deliver a message, they're in the tens of thousands of dollars. They're not cheap yeah. and we, we can't do it alone. So uh, yeah, we do, we do need your help. And of course we can, it can't just be Chris and myself and, and Dennis and, and even Corey get it going out and speaking. We're, we're hoping that this ambassador tour that we're doing right now in which Corey kind of gives you the tools and in order to actually have these conversations. Um, I, if you can get out to do that, likewise, I mean, you can always, by uh, by uh, Corey's book, the Sovereignist Handbook, and you and you, and you you learn to have conversations with people that maybe you wouldn't normally be having the conversation with, and likewise you'll find out where to have the conversations too. Maybe you go to a library. So if a senior is un, unsure where to go, 
you can go to your library or, or it was, you know, even when I was running for uh, the MLA position in, in uh, May, I actually got to go into schools. I got to go into libraries. I got to go into retirement homes. You know, sadly, you can only seem to do that during an election because after that, if you try and tell them, we want to talk a little bit about uh, the Alberta Prosperity Project and uh, referendum, referendum on independence, they're going to shut you down pretty quick. But then you have to have that tool set in order to be able to go in and have that conversation and say why you should be allowing me in. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, here, uh, oh, here it is. I was going to put that one up. Did you put that one up or did I put that one? No, I didn't put that on. Biden is proposing a pet tax. <laughs> that I've never heard of. And I thought maybe you would have heard News something to about me. that. Now. Okay, so. News to me. All right. Well, we'll have to take a look into that. That does sound a little little offish. Here's the one I was looking for. Okay, go ahead. Marilyn asks, can you remind us who this guest is? He is informative ah. and would love to hear more from. Absolutely. Am I supposed That's to all tell you, them? Jim? You can do that. Okay. okay. Actually, you know what, Jim? While you're at it, can you uh, let people know how they can help out with this situation and where they can get involved or maybe even help out financially? So um, financial help, um, because of the overall economic, economic situation, all non-for-profits that are doing great work in all the areas, and I mean, this is just the pet area. I mean, every non-for-profit in, in North America right now is sucking wind so if there's people that have time to volunteer or they have extra funds that they do want to put into this area taking care of unhomed un un animals um, they can get a hold of classic kennels at our main uh, switchboard number uh, which is 403-340-0128 uh, and the uh, front desk person will help them uh, in any way they need to direct their uh, their uh, resources right now um, I mean, if someone out there watching this has been thinking about adopting an animal, again, they can call that same Classic Kennels and Classic Starts with a K phone number. And uh, again, the uh, front office will uh, line them up and show them how to find the animals. Uh, we will be doing posts probably next week on animals up for adoption. We haven't had to do that for about five or six years. Uh, I like that picture you have on there right now. That's my just recently passed away daughter's dog, Kira, looking at the camera there. Um, but yeah, we're located in the north side of Red Deer. Um, uh, we've been here for 35 years, um, and yeah, we uh, we have a bunch of uh, beautiful animals here that are going to need homes. Um, um, I won't be much available tomorrow. I'm training a bunch of police officers all day tomorrow um, uh, on how to deal with dogs. But uh, yeah, anyone that wants to reach out to Classic Kennels, the front office will uh, aid them in directing them in how to find animals. Yeah, there's a number, find animals, uh, or how to even volunteer time, or how to uh, volunteer resources. Well, thank you very much, Jim. We are pretty much out of time by the time we run our little. Uh, and you and you know, I I I really enjoyed this talk because we, uh, you know, we we weren't really sure how the conversation was going to go because if you look at it from a very you know focused, oh, it's about pets and whatever. But but this shows that it's not just everything that we talk about on this show on these series of webinars is not just the topic. It's about how that topic. Be, grows because of other influences. And I think that's the important thing that people really need to realize is it's not just, if it was one thing to be able to fix, we'd have a checkbox, we'd be able to fix it and give us another problem. But when you have all this stuff meshing together, how yeah, do you and, 
we're trying to solve this. Just imagine if they gave us the task of solving Middle East peace, we'd even even have more trouble. So <laughs> I think our problem is over there and lick their faces. I think that, would, that <laughs> everyone would needs a, every time. everyone needs a puppy. They'll all settle down. <laughs> all awesome. right. Well, okay, okay guys. Uh, thank thanks you, again, Jim, and thanks, folks, for watching. Thank you so much. I will be wolfing down some food for about 30 seconds and then right back on with a, another episode of getting candid with the candidates with uh, Marco Van Ugenbos. So look forward awesome. to that. All right. Good well, thank you again. Guys. And we'll uh, talk to you guys next, next Wednesday for sure. Next Wednesday, next, and, next webinar. And thank you, Carrie. I like your shirt. Where'd you get it? Uh, I'm not sure where I got it from. Oh, I can't do that. There you go. Hmm. Boop. I'm going to try and get one. <laughs> All right. Good night, everybody. Good night, guys. Good night.